Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Picture for a moment a mantle clock of, of many years in age that once perhaps sat on your grandparents' mantle, but then went into a box when the house was taken apart and no one could quite see any value in it because it wasn't ticking anymore. That is a find for Gage Robertson. That's something that would excite his interest. And then as he looks at it, perhaps on Facebook where it's, where it's uh, portrayed for sale, you'll see, no, that is a real antique and he will purchase it and he will bring it back to life. And that's a, a hobby with a great big H. And it also has become something that he can return some of his own investment of time and talent uh, by s- selling these completely restored clocks that used to sit in a box in your garage from grandma's house back in the day. So this is going to be a fun conversation and very much in line with two others that I've had in this podcast series. One with someone who started repairing V8 engines and reselling them when he was, before he was 17. And also someone who has become a very proficient copy editor and proofreader for my book (laughs) on practice as a way of being. And she plays the accordion and she is 17. So yeah, I'm probably going to look for another 17 year old, which is pretty wonderful. But so far I'm giving you three examples of where practice gets its roots in the teen years or even younger. And then they continue to grow through a lifetime. This is Gage Robertson. I was just telling Gage Robertson about a pattern that he's becoming part of. The pattern being that I keep finding these incredibly interesting 17 year old business people (laughs) or people who have high intention to do things that we sometimes think in quotes, kids will wait for a long while before they'll undertake. Like for example, Gage's clock repair. So, I, I, I'm, I'm, there's so many things I want to know, Gage, but let's start with, oh, I have to tell you, I almost came to you with a bad, what do they call, uh, a bad dad joke. <laughs> I, I was going to say, there are kids your age who spend all their time listening to TikTok, and <laughs> you, Gage, actually listen to TikTok. I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> ba-dum-bum, ba-dum-bum. Pretty good, actually. <laughs> That's my bad dad joke. <laughs> Even your father wouldn't risk that, that pun. <laughs> or maybe he would. <laughs> but uh, of all things, particularly since digital has become so prominent, mm-hmm. what, uh, what attracted you to old clocks? And when? So I would have to say um, when I was very little, when we first moved into this house um, and uh, Susie, who's my my dad's uh, fiance, um, they, they first got together. She had a, an old clock 
that had been passed down um, in her family for years. And um, it was in the dining room for many years. Um, it was actually kind of stored away in a cabinet and it didn't work. And I was always fascinated with it ever since uh, we moved in. And I would say it was about uh, three years ago that we finally decided to take it to a clock repair shop and have him look at it. Um, it's actually uh, Standish Clock Repair right down the road. Mm. You can probably look it up if you want. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he um, he estimated it was going to be three hundred dollars to to fix it. And um, wow! So we we didn't want to pay the money. I was like, I was kind of bummed out. I was like, oh, we we can't get it fixed. And because Susie was like, oh, it's too much money. So um, we ended up forgetting about it, <laughs> and we left it <laughs> left it at his at his shop. Oh, you left it there and yeah, what, thinking there. he might come down on his price at some point. Well, no, it was just we forgot to pick it up. We just completely forgot. <laughs> um, this is a hell of a good story. <laughs> the yeah. grandfather clock that was well, it's, left it's not, at the shop. It's it's like a like a mantle clock kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's a small mantle clock. So we forgot about it. And then a couple months after we first brought it there, um, we got a call saying, hey, your clock is fixed. You're ready, ready for pickup. And we're like, wait, we didn't agree to that. <laughs> we said, yeah. we said we didn't want to go through with that. So he, he realized his mistake and he, and he took half price off what he originally quoted mm -hmm. us. So 150 instead of 300. And, um, we paid him that and it's happily taking away to this day in our living room. And that was kind of the start for the start of this fascination with antique clocks for me, I think. Um, Did you go down to the shop and sort of poke around in the, yes. in the dusty corners? Of it was it was pretty soon after that I started making routine visits there, and nice. I still do to this day. I've become very good friends with with Jim. It's it's a shop. It's run by him, his him and his son. His son does the watches, and he does the antique clocks. So like the big grandfather clocks and the mantle clocks and stuff like that. So now. So uh, that was that business uh, inherited? Is it something that they've kept going from decades before or did uh, Jim start it? I think he started it, if mm. I'm not mistaken. I've never, to tell you the truth, I've never actually asked him how he got into clock repair. Um, I believe prior to doing clock repair, he actually had a restaurant or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he... Uh, but he, yeah. So he's 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 been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, I think he tried to start, you know, doing the whole business out of his own home, but mm -hmm. West Hartford wouldn't let him run it out of his home. They said you have to have a like a like a formal shop, you know. So mm -hmm. he he ended up um, getting a, uh, you know, the the store, the physical store uh, um, down the road. Uh, forget the actual address. It's right across the street. Oh, it's it's actually right next door to Jerry Coffee. Do you know where that is? Oh yeah, yeah, but. I don't get down there much. And if I do yeah. the next time, I'm going to poke my head in and tell them that I, awesome. uh, I have a podcast star who um, <laughs> frequents his place. So let's think about the context. Since you're going to be studying history at the University of Hartford in the fall, congratulations. Thank you. At first, I asked the question because I thought that clock repair as a business, a profitable business would, would go way back when a lot of us had wind up clocks uh, and, uh, and watches for that matter that uh, weren't digitized or electronics. And, and therefore it sort of came down through uh, succession. Mm 
But now I'm getting a different sense of it. Maybe you would agree about this. Folks may not know who listen to this, you know, in Australia, that uh, West Hartford is um, a very old town, very old small city, but it also has a lot of old homes and people who have the affluence or they've inherited mantle clocks of that, of that, of that quality. And I can't think of anywhere, I should have Googled it in advance, where you can go and have a really good clock like Susie's clock repaired for yep. less than 300 bucks. Yep. And so there is an opportunity. It's a tiny niche. Mm. But from a business standpoint, it sounds like he and his son and with you are getting it going. But now I want to talk about Gage Robinson. What? about those tiny little instruments and getting inside, opening up the back. Are you actually making clocks tick again? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's honestly, I see each antique clock as a time capsule and something that at one point, especially when it was new, was like a prized possession in someone's life. And I think each clock deserves to have its story continued and and to allow it to continue just existing on this planet. Um, I'm on Facebook all the time and I'll see posts of people who retrieved an antique clock from the dumpster that like uh, an estate sale, you know, they cleaned it out and they just threw it out because they didn't see the value in it. But Ooh. I think, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll get a clock and I, and I, pref- I actually prefer to buy the clocks that no one else would buy that are like really, really damaged and really, really beat up. Wow. Um, and they may take a long time to restore, but it's it's worth it to me in the end, just because I love seeing them, you know, make a comeback. Like, hey, you were you were constructed to last, so I'm gonna make sure that happens. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a that's a real mission, and and uh, I love the part that each clock has a story. Uh, whether you get to actually know its story in a way, I sense you know you you pick up on the story. You can imagine uh, if a clock had sat on a mantle for a hundred years, how yep. many family conversations, how many, yes. uh, in our, in our little part of the world, they used to have, uh, they, if someone passed away, they would put the casket right in a room where there was probably a mantle clock mm-hmm. and they'd be mourning the loss of a loved one. And all, all the while that clock was ticking along until it, it didn't, it's till it stopped. <laughs> and, and I, I know since I've told a bad dad joke that, you know, the song, the grandfather's clock. I think so. Yes. I the think grandfather's so. clock goes tick, duck, tick. And then the clock struck never just, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel that way too. And I feel what you are, you're doing in the world right now, but let, now let's talk about the actual mechanical work of making particularly a beat up old clock uh, new again and work. It takes, I would assume it takes quite a bit of patience and really good (laughs) dexterity. Yes. (laughs) Talk about fixing one of the real junkers until now it's like out there ready to tick again. Well, so each clock, you know, it could come to me in various different, you know, conditions. Um, The worst, um, type of condition is it's like dusty and it's also worn out. I had a clock once that was sitting in a family farmhouse for over a hundred years and was barely used. And the movement was 
um, it was brass and steel and it was so dirty that you couldn't even see the brass or the steel it was just the whole thing was brown. And there was like these piles, like physical piles of like dust on it. Yeah. Um, so those, you know, um, you have to you have to put a lot of work into to make them, you mm -hmm. know, cleaned up. Big caution with these antique clocks is, believe it or not, they're actually quite dangerous <laughs> because um, or the spring wound ones are, especially the American ones. You have to make sure that you release the power on the spring before you disassemble the movement. And oh. that's a part that's a whole process in its own, because um, if you don't let down the power on the spring and you just go straight to taking the bolts of the plate off and taking the gears out, it will explode and mm. you could have severe lacerations all over your body. If you go on any, you know, clock repair website, the first thing they'll say is make sure you release the power on the springs or else you will hurt yourself. <laughs> so that, there's um, a nice analogy there for something else, but you know, the power of the spring and how, yeah. and, and how latent that power is. I mean, it looks so innocent, right? Just curled, yep. it, curled yeah, in yeah. there, it does. get all the dust cleared it's away not. and there it is. Yeah. And it's ready to, it's ready to spring. <laughs> spring <yep. laughs> Maybe yeah. that's where that came from too. But um, uh, now as you're doing that though, how did you learn that part? Did the folks down at the shop teach you about the first and foremost rule, which is release the power of the spring? Or did you, did you go um, on YouTube or how, you, how did you self learn? I think that? the majority of my, my starting knowledge in, in this hobby was probably from YouTube, I would say. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I learned a lot from YouTube um, as well as, you know, the clock shop nearby. He told me about how to let down the power on the springs. And, um, but yeah, YouTube was a big learning point for me, uh, for sure. Yep. There are a lot, are there a lot of posts out there on YouTube and uh, people want to help. Yeah, there, believe it or not. Actually, clock world. Yeah. Believe it or not, there actually is. Um, there's one guy I watch. His name is uh, James Martin. Clock, his, his YouTube channel is called James Martin Clock Repair. And he's based in Washington state. And um, he's kind of like a clock repair idol for me because <laughs> he's just he's 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 an older man. And he, you can tell he's been doing this work for a long time. And he the way he records his videos, he um, captures every detail of the work that he does in, in a way that you can really pick up on it and 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 learn from him, you know, how he how he goes about doing those repairs. Yeah. So I, when I first started clock repair, I watched his channel like nonstop and uh, that's, that's where I learned a lot of um, a lot of how I, you know, how to let down the power and all that stuff. So what, what is it about his way of being? Cause this is the theme and practice as a way of being is actually the primary title of my book, but what is it about him when he's, when he's recording this, that drew you to him and keeps and kept you very interested, not just in the technical part, but his way of, of basically teaching what he was doing. He is just a very calm and patient and um, just a very detailed, detail-oriented person, I would say. Every video, he starts off with, he has a voiceover the whole, the whole video, like he records it on his microphone after he's actually filmed it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And um, he'll start off, you know, he'll show you the clock, like the project he has, and he'll explain the origins of it, the model name, you know, the history of it. And then he'll gradually get, you know, more and more detailed as the video progresses. And, you know, finally, you'll get to the stage where because like he'll, he'll have a, a different angle from for each step of the process. So you'll see one 
angle of of him you know the clock that he has and he's like so today i received this clock in the mail and uh it was sent to me from a man in uh you know idaho or whatever and uh and he'll the next shot will be you know inside the case and him unscrewing the movement from the case and then the next one will be you know him inspecting it and he'll have like a little screwdriver you'll see him explaining each part of the movement and what needs to be done and how you know he he has just an intuitive um way of looking at a movement and being like okay so i kind of know what this movement has been through based off of the condition it's in now wow like he'll he'll talk about like like he'll get a movement that's really dirty and he'll see this kind of like tar substance on there and he'll be like well back in the day you know a lot of people smoked a lot of smokers yeah and that, and that smoke would kind of coat everything in your house including your lungs and that's that's actually like a quote from one of his videos and wow. you can see him explain that on the movement because you'll see you know he'll zoom in on like the winding arbor or something and there's like this like greenish residue or something so oh yeah it's just... <laughs> that is incredible now so um every what he helped you see is that every clock has a story which we started with yes uh but when you when he gets in he's he you see him assessing the movements regarding mm -hmm. whether they should be fixed or replaced is there as part of the work saying look this one is just not it's too worn and doesn't it won't have a future so there are some things that you have to replace right um I guess well, maybe not. Maybe it's because they're brass and steel. You don't have to. I guess some people's mindset would be, you know, you could replace it. But I think his mindset is you fix it no matter what. And he'll oh. fix it. Yeah. So that's the kind of mindset I, I really, you know, appreciate. I um, like that mindset. In yeah. fact, I just projected on you the whole commercial uh, scandal of the world. You know, if, if you replace it, no, replace don't even it, try right? to repair yeah. it. And of course, I grew up in Maine where we... We uh, like your dad was in New Hampshire. You know, we we valued every penny. We made mm -hmm. uh, if you if you could get more than one use out of something, you you would do it. So I kind of grew up with that ethos. But coming out to the real world here over the many years that I've lived out here, I've seen that this that throwaway culture, and I'm so excited to see that you have chosen not to follow that trend, <laughs> at yes. least when it comes to I, I clock try. to clock repair. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. If I can't fix a movement and it's, and you know, the gears are beyond my repair. Like if there was a gear tooth that broke off and it's a metal movement, mm -hmm. like I just don't have the tools to repair that gear. I'll save pretty much every part that I come across and I can and use it in another movement in the future. That's, that's how I look at it. Cause every, I mean, they're not making any more of them. So every time no. you cross a parts movement or something, like it would almost be in my mind it almost be like a crime to throw it out once you got one part from it because there's literally like like each movement has dozens of parts on just one movement that you could use in a future project so, so you're you're uh, do you have a spot in your room with all of these uh, spare parts or have you um, commandeered a corner of the house commandeered is probably the best word um it's kind <laughs> of funny, actually my my dad when we moved in uh he well he he still does he he has a furniture making hobby and uh he he made a beautiful wood shop in the basement and you know it's a huge like length like wall length um workbench that he put in and um i kind of took it over <laughs> so, well yeah so he, he he's just happy that it's being used um and i'm sure uh, i have yeah. a 
I have clocks kind of lined up on the workbench and I, I try like I'll clear a workbench and it'll be like, Hey, you guys have this space. Now you guys can work on your projects. Like my brother and my dad. And mm-hmm. then like two days later, I have it filled up with <laughs> stuff again. <laughs> and they'll be like, Hey, why'd you, why'd you put stuff on here? You just cleared this off for us. <laughs> well, so, this, this, this gets to the, uh, the business aspect of your work, because if clocks are appearing on that bench, it means that people have said, Gage, I'd like you to repair my clock. So that's business, right? Well, most of the clocks I get, believe it or not, are actually ones that I purchase and then try to resell. Ah, well, that's business too. Yes. Because Um, those clocks are not only a replica would look at all like any of the clocks you're selling. mm -hmm. So you're putting something back out into a marketplace, which particularly likes antiques. I mean, it's a big part of the antique world is here in New England, particularly in Connecticut. So that's a smart business move. So you um, find them, Mm -hmm. fix them, and then you sell them. So first, how do you find them? So it it, um, mostly through Facebook Marketplace. Sometimes I'll find clocks on eBay. That's like when I first started clock repair, I wasn't really sure where to get antique clocks. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of was getting most of my clocks off eBay. But as I've you know learned more, I've realized that Facebook Marketplace is the best option because people will list clocks on Facebook Marketplace every day, and mm. you can find. And I have an eye for like what's reproduction, what's junk, and then like what's the actual thing that I should you know focus on on acquiring. So and I'll and I'll always make sure it's the right price. So I'll knock off a bunch of categories on my head. Like okay, so this is antique. Is uh, what work does it need? Does it have all the case parts is it missing anything on the interior is there like a broken spring and then you know i'll make an offer but most of the time i can get really good price i don't i don't usually pay over 30 dollars for antique clock at this point that's yeah. a really good business move most of the clock did, get $20. Where, did, where did this eye come from this eye for uh, the right choice among all those possible options um i think i just kind of got used to, you know, figuring out what is antique and what isn't. And uh, I'm able to kind of just, it, it's, it, I don't know, it's, I'm able to see a clock and I can pretty much just tell you if it's an antique or not. I'll look, there's there's one thing that's very indicative of an antique clock is um, the the piece that holds the hands on the face of a clock. Um, a little a screw thing. Yeah, well, sometimes it's a screw, but most of the time, 85% of the time, it's a pin. So oh. if I see a listing on Facebook Marketplace and I think it looks antique, but I'm not really sure, the first thing I'll look at is what's holding the hands on. And if there's a pin instead of like a screw or something like that, mm-hmm. then that's how I know that it's an antique and it's worth my time. So so that's that's the find. And then we talked a bit about the fix, but let's now talk about how you get them back out and make some profit on your work. What's your, selling, what's your selling process? So um, most of the time I, I sell on eBay and I can usually get decent prices for them. Um, it can be it can be hard sometimes, I will say, you know, it's it's hard. to It's tough to find a market. Um, but I had a, a friend uh, or not a friend, a former teacher of mine uh, from my my art school that I just graduated from who started his own antique store um, called Fable and in, in Southington. You might have you might you might have heard about that that store. Um, and, uh, he offered to let me display some of those clocks for sale. 
And Ooh. so I brought about three or four of my clocks there and uh, they're all priced about 275 a piece. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're kind of, I'm, I'm just experimenting with that. I'm going to see how it goes. He said he's already had, you know, two possible buys or potential buys. So I'm, I'm hoping that'll, that'll go well. So yeah, if, if, it, if they do sell, then, then that's great. And there's a bunch of, I have connections like um, all over, right? you know, uh, local antique stores and people know that I refi- like fix clocks. Antiques on the Farmington is a place that I go to a lot. Yeah. That's a very prominent you know, shop. Yeah. And they offered to give me some shelf space. But the problem is, is I have so many clocks in the basement and they're all at different stages of repair. So I had to have a one clock, you know, 100% complete and finished. And then that's when I'm ready to, to uh, fix it. I guess that's where I'm like my own worst enemy is, um, like I won't procrastinate. Like I'm always working on a new project, but I'll always, I'm like, I'm constantly acquiring new projects. <laughs> so I'll, 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 you know, buy this clock and I'll work on it. I'll take it apart. And then I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I'm working on that. And then I'll see this clock on Facebook marketplace. And I'm like, I got to get that. I got to get, get that. that one. So I get that one and then I'm working on this one. And then I go back to the one over there and it's just, I keep going in circles. <laughs> <laughs> now, now- what I predict then is you'll you'll have to give up your your desire to go to college in the fall. Well, actually, this month, <laughs> because you're gonna you know you have this clock addiction now that's taking up every inst- every moment of your day and night, and so you're just gonna spend the rest of your life making <laughs> fixing clocks that you cannot help but want to buy and repair, yeah. or you can tamp that down and box it up a bit. Yep. And concentrate on your new studies. So what about the or part? How are you planning to, because I don't personally, I know enough about practice to know that you're not giving up clock repair. It's just not going to stop. It's similar to your dad's hobby in furniture or any of us who started getting good at something, very good at something on our own terms. And I want to underscore that. No, no one said you will do this or else, or this is your assignment. You just giving yourself this pleasure mm-hmm. of seeing something that was busted and useless telling time again. So that's not going to go away. But so now how do we put that into perspective with starting a whole new part of your life at school? Um, I'll tell you the truth. It's kind of a struggle wrapping my head around it. Um, mm-hmm. How I'm, you know, I've, I'm going to have to get used to this whole new mindset of, you know, study and, and making and focusing my time towards that. Um, but I'm trying, you know, in various ways to try to finish up some projects in the basement and and spend my time in better ways than you know, getting getting new clocks. Or if I do get a new clock, putting it in the corner and letting it be and finishing what I've already started. now there's that's an important change of your practice you'll still get the satisfaction you just it won't be volume it'll be quality (laughs) one clock instead of 10 yeah Yeah. it's quality no matter what it's just like i said it it take each each one usually takes a lot of time because i'll make a lot more work for myself than i have to (laughs) now the marketplace knows you're out there now though you got the store in southington you got the store in farmington you got you got some people on the web who are now more and more aware of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, what about the uh, option of apprenticing someone? <laughs> apprenticing another person? Another like, clock repair person who can work well, out of her or his I still home think you can honestly, stop out some of this work. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I, feel, I still think I'm, I'm learning 
more and more about clock repair every day. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I have a, I'm, there's a man in uh, California who I'm very good friends with. And um, we uh, befriended each other through Facebook. And um, he's kind enough to provide me with a lot of tools and clock repair tools. And he's offering to teach me how to do um, various, you know, aspects of clock repair that I haven't learned yet. And one of the main ones being um, installing bushings, which is very important um, and repairing an, an important uh, skill when repairing antique clocks. And I just, I haven't had the time this summer to really sit down with him and, and like walk through, you know, how to do that. But I'm hoping, you know, eventually I'll be able to, you know, have a couple of days where we can just tinker with the movement and, and I can learn how to do that. But yeah, I think, I think I'm still learning to this day. Actually, well, I, I think that's a lovely thing. And I think I predict that you'll still be learning as this person in California is for the rest of time. I mean, because it's, it's this yeah. so much to learn, but okay. my question, perhaps I didn't say it clearly was if you in your own business here, small B right now had some volume that you couldn't handle because you're starting a lot of work at school. Is there some person who you could start teaching at least the very simple yeah. parts like cleaning the ick off or something like that. So you, you could, uh, you know, put more time into the higher end of, of your learning on the clocks as well as your, your college studies? Um, at this point, I haven't, I mean, I haven't really thought about apprenticing someone else, I guess. Um, you have to be a very special person. Yeah. Certainly someone with enormous amount of patience and a high desire to learn what you know. Yeah, exactly. That's the key. I mean, I have a very good friend um, who lives across the street and he loves my my hobby. He thinks it's super cool, but He's told me dozens of times I would never have the patience for this. <laughs> <laughs> he'll go in the basement and he'll just kind of be like, oh, man, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the patience for this. And, you know, my brother, he's got his own hobby with RC cars and all that. So, all right. well, just put a little bullet on the possibility that someday you're going to find someone maybe at school who's, Hopefully, says, yeah. you know, I, I'm looking for someone who loves a lot clock repair like i do and you go oh i love clock repair oh wow awesome. <laughs> i didn't even think about that so you just yeah. well is it it is about the shaping of your commitment to your to what i think is a high uh, practice that you're going to continue to have clock repair with other things you're developing so as we are coming to our last couple of minutes we're talking about your choice of history does that go back to a point you made earlier in our conversation where you said i like to feel that every clock i'm handling has a history and i like to think about that is there a connection there there is a huge connection there and there's there's connections with various things in state like interests and hobbies i've had in my life um I, I've always had a very huge interest in um, historical buildings and, yeah. and the historical events, you know, historical people, pretty much anything historical, um, yeah. or, you know, especially in American history. And, you know, my, my, my dad and I, the last couple of years have been trying to restore all the original wooden windows on our house. And mm. we have about three windows left of 43 wooden sashes that we've restored. And wow. It's it's I have a bunch of different um, interests that all kind of are in the general hub of history. And I feel like my whole deep down, my whole mindset is oriented in that historical 
that historical mindset, I guess. So. And yeah. now that I can tell folks, well, I said up front that you're 17, folks, he's really 77. This is an old man here. <laughs> Yes. He, he's he's, he's almost my age. This is a, this has all been a hoax. This whole conversation, because what some what person seventeen has already developed in himself a real strong feeling for all things historical. I I think it's tremendous, and I'm only teasing. I, I admire the heck out of the fact that you've caught on to not only the specific of clock repair and the whole domain of antique timepieces, but it puts you into the whole world that's very prominent in our part of the country, in Connecticut, which is appreciation of American history. I mean, we are the Constitution state. And uh, there's going to be something very close at hand for you to appreciate, learn about, you're going to have some faculty who are at your school, particularly because they could come to Connecticut, which is so rich in history. And we have the Athenaeum and other institutions that uh, have preserved a lot of American history. So I think you're going to have a wonderful four years. Thank you. And you're going to, after that, you're always going to have something on that bench if not Always. your dad's bench you're going to have your own bench someday yes. <laughs> i can see you now saying to your potential partner now we've got to find a place to live where i can have a bench, a bench. <laughs> yes. Definitely. so yeah. thank you gage robertson it's been really delightful to have this time to get to know you better thank everyone you. who said great things about you were absolutely right Thank you so much. I I very much appreciate that, Dave. It was a pleasure talking with you as well. Thanks for listening to The Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form something that would be new like podcasting to many of us and it's a a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when peter vale and i originated it several years ago so please come to www.mylibrary one word dot world slash practice and you'll see what i mean Thank you.